you're loving these podcasts, then please do head over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash business master. It's super easy. I promise you, your support really is appreciated. And it helps in the creation of these in-depth masterclasses and interviews to equip you, your team and your business for growth. If you have supported us already, many thanks. And if not, you can do this by heading over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash business master. You'll also be able to get access to exclusive content from the guests and myself, further insights and information on the featured episodes and how you can get more access for you and your business. Hey, Gavin here. Welcome back to the Business Mastermind podcast and to another in our series, our themed season called Revive. Today, it's a great pleasure to get Robin, Robin Waite, uh, founder of Fearless Business Coaching on the show. Um, Robin and I have kind of operated, circled around each other in similar sort of sphere and um, quietly admired each other's work from afar. But I think this is the very this is the very first time we've had the chance to really connect and really chat. So it's a, it's a great joy. So Robin, welcome to the Business Mastermind podcast. Oh, Gavin, I can't tell you how excited I am to be here uh, chatting to you today. So I'm looking forward to seeing where the conversation goes. So we have a number of things in common. We uh, we work uh, in the space of helping. Uh, Robin's got a very specific niche, which we'll go into in a minute. But we work in the space of helping businesses to scale and grow and to improve. We're both authors, although Robin's uh, achieved that more times than I have. We're both podcasters. And we've both got an insatiable um, desire to learn and to help others in the world of business. So it's going to be a great conversation. So today we're going to talk about, um, you know, well, actually, before we go into the specific topic, just give um, the listeners a flavor for fearless business coaching, what you stand for and uh, the difference that you make for your clients. Yeah, so uh, well, primarily I'm a, I'm a husband and f- uh, father first, and we were chatting off there about our kids going back to school as well. So it's that that new season starting in September when everything kicks off again, and I think that's very much reflected in business. Um, but no, in, in my where Fearless actually came from. Um, so in my spare time, I'm actually a, a surfer, not a very good one, but I, I surf. I'm a very keen cyclist. I'm one of those annoying guys in the Lycra that holds up all the traffic on a Sunday morning. That's me. Sorry, folks. Um, And I've been down hills at 50 miles an hour on my push bike and all sorts of fun stuff like that. And and I believe that with with business, we should try and bring in some of our our core values into our business because then it's much more authentic. It's much more um you can live you can live by those um those values and and sort of work through things you know you you tend to find a brand will like fearless will attract similar sorts of clients to where our values are at as well so but the key thing is fearless isn't about being reckless and I always have to like emphasize that fearless is about fearing the things in business ever so slightly less that would ordinarily sort of hold you back you know because you think about it, things like, you know, walking into a room and doing a 60 second pitch to a, a room, you know, room full of strangers at a networking meeting. Some people are absolutely petrified by that. And the reality is that they just don't want to look stupid. Mm. But if you don't stand up and do that 60 second pitch, nobody's ever going to hear about you. They're not going to know anything about you. So how are you ever going to be able to grow your business and sell stuff? So so for me, it's about just fear the things in business ever so slightly less, whatever it is that's currently holding you back. Um, and then, yeah, we we. Our, our niche is ever so slightly different, like you alluded to. So we specialize in helping micro businesses, one man bands, coaches, consultants and freelancers who are uh, typically charging sort of time for money. And we help them again. They charge time for money because it's a safe thing to do. And that's what everybody else does. But we have to the thing which they fear is actually charging based on results, which I'm hoping we're going to talk about a little bit later. We will on. be. We will be, um, and it's and that's where I really want to talk in the, in the in the context of the theme around revive, uh, reviving your business, revenue. All a lot of focus tends to be on marketing, on increasing volume of sales, volume of um, new clients, and less is done on pricing. Less focus is on pricing, and whether I'm working with businesses, and let's say they're in the arena, arena of selling a product, um, and I. I asked the question, when was the last time that you had a price rise? There's a look of horror goes across the face as if how dare you, we could never do that. How, how would you think that that would be a sensible strategy? But as you know much better than me, but then you take that conversation to somebody selling a service and particularly selling themselves as that service, 
then if this becomes a big taboo, doesn't it, as a subject about pricing and increasing prices? Yeah, hundred percent. And it's what it, you know. You you alluded, you touched on something there that's su- super super important. So most business owners will put their prices up once a year, maybe once every two years, and even then they'll only put their prices up by five or ten percent. And even and that's where they're like, <gasps> can possibly do, you know put them up anymore? And the trouble is that they have a belief that if they put their prices up, clients will leave. Okay. Yes. Actually, that's not a bad thing. And we, you know, we can go through that, you know, work through some case studies and some examples I've got around that. But the reality is like, two, there's two different types of clients. You've got your existing clients. And yes, they are going to be anchored to a specific price point. They're going to be much more price sensitive. But you've also got a, a, a second sort of client who is the new potential prospective client right now. They've not been exposed to your prices yet. So they don't know, they haven't been anchored to a specific price point that you sell your products or services at. So there's a really great opportunity there because there's no tension. You can pitch whatever price point you, you, you want to them. And if they see that that's, if they feel that's good value for money, you've got a deal and you can go ahead. Even if that's double or treble or quadruple what your existing clients are paying, it's, it's that price point in that particular moment in time for that client. So we have an opportunity here around raising prices. Um, there's an assumption here that the value uh, exchange is there. So the individual is um, adding significant value, but we've got an opportunity to have a transformational effect on the bottom line of your business without a significant increase in not only activity, but also in cost. And um, if you've got a, a significant volume increase, then there's variable and fixed costs associated with that. So, um, I know it's a statement of obvious to anybody listening, the importance of raising prices, but I think there's some more subtle psychological impacts of price being able to and following through and, and, and getting positive feedback on a price rise when you're selling a product or a service. And I'd love to delve into that with you because I know that you spend a lot of time in this space. Yeah, I mean, it, essentially, it come, it falls into the one of the fear categories, fear of the unknown. So they they or it could also come under fear of um, rejection. So if yeah. more people are saying no, we take it personally. Um, it could also come under fear of failure, you know, because, oh, if I put my prices up and it doesn't work out, what happens then? Believe it or not, fear of success also comes into this. What, what if I end up with loads of money as a result of this? And many people are just, um, unfortunately, very poorly educated around money. And so having too much money can be quite a scary prospect because they just don't know how to manage it properly. So there's all these different kind of fears going on. But my how we coach um, people through that is through um, helping them to gather evidence and data. So they've got this belief. And what we do is we want to back it up with some kind of evidence, okay? And this is where I lay down, This is, I have a quite a lot of fun with, with on the coaching side of things because I just lay down a gauntlet because the immediate thing, I'll say, right, if you were selling it as this product at £1,000, let's try and sell it at £2,000. Let's go and pitch it to 10 people and see how many of them say yes. And, and what I do is I have a bit of a bet with clients at this point. I say to them, listen, Brilliant. all I want you to do is pitch it to 10 people and let's see how many people say yes. If all 10 come back and say no, then I'll pay you, I'll pay you the difference. I'll pay you the 2000 pounds. You've got your, at least one client who'll pay, you know, pay you that, that going rate, which I, I've, we've all made an assumption here. All we're doing is we're trying to gather data and evidence to back up that assumption, whether it's that the assumption is right or whether the assumption is wrong, either way, we just want data. And so typically what tends to happen is, I mean, it's not, it's not linear. It doesn't, it's not like every third client says yes because we know clients are like buses. So typically what tends to happen is they'll do their first, you know, pitch to the first eight prospective clients and they'll say no, and they'll start to panic a little bit. And I have to remind them, don't worry, I'm going to buy this product off you if, if you don't get any yeses at all. And then it's the last two that always say yes. So you've got to get through the no's primarily before you then get to the yeses. Um, and you also, it's quite amusing because people will get the yes and they'll come back and say, oh my gosh, Robin, I can't believe how easy that was. And second to that, they say, I've already put my prices up, so my job's done. But it's just validation. It's just going out, getting data and validating it. But it's the fear which stops people from actually going through that process in the first place. What's that fear about? I know you say it's about a fear of rejection, fear of unknown, fear of failure. But is there something causal that's deeper than that? that's triggering that yeah it's it's the it's money mindset basically it's the money blueprint that's been installed into us from the ages typically the ages between about three and seven so 
um, you know, where, where our parents drilled into us. Now, we can't have those trainers because they're too expensive. We can't go on holiday this year because we can't afford it. You know, money doesn't grow on trees. Oh, look at that Range Rover. That's grotesque. They must have loads of money. So there's all this negativity which has been just programmed into us at a very early age that unfortunately, and this is, I think, you know, where the education system, whether it's in the UK or potentially, you know, further afield overseas, I think we don't talk about money. We don't talk about love. It's, you know, very British not to talk about either of those two things. But actually, they're the, they're the two things that most people, when they become adults, they, they're, the, they're the big questions in life, aren't they? Apart from what is the purpose of life. But how do I, how do I find a partner to settle down with? How do I make more money? You know, how, yeah, do, we, yeah. how do we create wealth and abundance? And so we've got this poor money blueprint, you know, that our parents unfortunately gifted us as children it's just not helpful when we come through um, to being adults. And so where you then get into the psychology behind that. So where we've been told that we're not, we're not worth or we're worthless, we're not worth it. And you can't have this because it's too expensive. We actually in our businesses go out and seek evidence to back up that blueprint. And rather than, um, you know, a better way to look at it, if you think about it, there's three, three different time periods, past, present, future. If you always past and present you're always going to be looking back on that blueprint that already exists in order to change this and start to reprogram it we've got to be present future because mm -hmm. there's this new world out there where we can have abundance where we can charge more where we can have money you know cash flow flowing cash flowing through our business and we can create the opportunities that we want the challenge is it's out there in the future and the gremlins start to kick in and go, oh, that's not a safe place. I don't like that. So I'll retreat back to the past again. And so we're constantly having this like flip flopping around in the middle, you know, in the present is a very uncomfortable place. Whereas if you can start to just overcome that and, it, and it's a very quick process, you can this is something you can undo in about 30 days. You can go out and find your first client who is willing to spend more in less than 30 days. Even tomorrow, we've we've had clients do it in as little as five days, you know. So it's a, it's one of the quickest ways, in my opinion, to grow a business. But this isn't just this isn't just about charging more money because you can hopefully in inverted cars, I'm being purposely provocative, to get away with it. This is about delivering value and yeah. delivering either delivering more value or getting rewarded in line with the value that you're already delivering. Yeah. And it, it starts with the belief, the core belief here that I'm worth it, that the, the value starts here. Yeah, yeah. And that then that can be reflected by prospective clients and people out, you know, other people outside of that. So um, extra, it can be validated externally. Um, I'll give you a couple of examples, actually, of where. So, so you're right. It's, it's never just about just, you know, quadrupling the price and that's it. And, you know, for the same thing, Some, sometimes people are so massively discounting what they're doing so vastly like undervaluing themselves underselling themselves that yes you know quadrupling the price actually puts them into that fair market value but yeah where possible when you when you increase your prices you want to you want to add as much value as you possibly can within that so as an example of this i did some work with a um a web design company and they were charging eight pounds a month they used to do wordpress websites still do wordpress websites but eight pounds a month for their support and hosting their care plans and they had one goal in mind. And I think this is this is a really um, practical exercise that people can do if they've got questions about, am I charging enough? Um, focusing on your goals and then kind of reverse engineering it, working your way backwards to, you know, to that goal is a really good way of working out if you're charging the right sort of amount economically, if it's going to stack up for your business. So this particular client, they wanted to, um, on their care plans, earn £3,000 a month. Yep. So that and had a young family so that they could take six weeks off over the summer holidays and not have to worry about enrolling a new client. Okay. So I did the maths, right? So we take 3000 pounds, we divide it by eight pound a month, right? So hang on. So 400 clients roughly, have you got the capacity for 400 clients, international sign distress? No way, Robin, that's just ridiculous. We can only cope with about a hundred clients. Yeah. So I said, great. Okay. So now we know that capacity price, not, not quite, you know, and your goals, not quite adding up. So how could we support 400 clients if you were going to stay at that price point? And they said, well, we could hire some people. I said, well, it sounds like you probably need to hire maybe two or three people to manage that extra capacity on 3K a month. Is that realistic? No, it's not. So the only choice we had was to hugely increase the prices on their care plans. 
So we increased the service level agreement. We increased, they, they included an extra hour's worth of support time each month for clients if they wanted it. So we stacked a bit of extra value, but we put the price up to 50 pounds a month. Okay, so more than five times the, the basic care plan which they were selling. And um, there were some really interesting stats which came out of this, which we've repeated. In the what was their base in terms of number of clients that they started off with? So before, they, they before you did the price change. Yeah. So they were on about 120 clients. So yeah. they weren't they weren't doing terribly. They were doing quite well. And, and yeah. you know, in fact, in terms of the volume of clients. Um, but there was a couple of things around capacity and timing and various things like that, which came into play. So so what we did is we increased the price. We did a PR exercise with existing clients. Overnight, they lost 40% of their clients. So which is a disaster for most business owners. But there was two really positive outcomes from this. Their revenues went up by two and a half times for the care plans, which is great. So 40% fewer clients, revenue's gone up two and a half times. But the bonus, the, the Brucey bonus, which came out of it, the, I call it the pixie dust moments. Their support calls dropped by 80%. Wow. Yeah. So the 40% of clients who didn't value them at eight pounds yeah. a month who left took all of their problems, their whining and their moaning with them. Yeah, yeah. Low and margin, was, high maintenance. Yeah. So they were left with the clients who who loved the work which Rich and Amy were doing for them, you know. And um, so it Fantastic. still took us another 18 months to get, get up to that £3,000 sort of benchmark, which okay. they wanted to get to. So yeah. slow and steady. And I'm a big fan. I, there's no silver bullet here. There's nothing that's going to like, you know, there are businesses which massively, you know, do six and seven figures sort of overnight. But Rich and Amy are quite happy with slow and steady growth. And that's how a lot of our clients sort of work. And it's a much more realistic approach, in my opinion. But yeah, 18 months in, they hit their 3K um, uh, target turnover. But also what they were doing is they were breeding loyalty. So with all the extra value and the amazing results, which their clients are now getting through their, their websites, they were doing extra work from an SEO, search engine optimization perspective. So their clients are getting better results. They've now got this, and this is pixie dust moment number two, the stream of referrals coming into their business. So now the second problem is, well, we can only build so many websites. So we were able to treble the price of their, their basic website package as well. So that same month they hit 3K, they also did three and a half Ks worth of new site built as well. So now they've gone from 800 pound a month, you know, to six and a half K over the space of you know a month over 18 months. And yeah. that was transformational for them. And this Absolutely. is why I love working with small business owners because yeah. they, you know, Rich and Amy were able to, they afforded, um, uh, could afford to go and get married. They laid down a deposit on their first house because they were renting up to that point. Yep, yep. Rich was able to go and get um, uh, rent an office. So he now can move out of his sort of home study office, which was under his stairs and go into his own office. And the best part, um, Amy used to, she was a public servant. So she was able to leave her job in public sector and now come and work for Anorak Cat, you know, helping, helping Rich you know grow the business that side so there's all these like cascading effects from being super super brave with your pricing i love that and what a great story that it's not only well it's a win at all levels and it's a win for the the, the the client it's a win for them in their business and obviously a win for them in their personal lives as well so it has a transformational transformational effect at what point will uh, do you change the model from rising prices to recognizing that you've got to increase capacity in order to you, you hit a market, whether it's a market level, but you've hit a ceiling. So if you want to further grow profitability, uh, revenue and profitability that you, you need, you'll need to employ or you need to use freelancers. Yeah. Well, I, I have a saying is probably not the most positive saying, but you can, you can wing your way to 85 K. Right. So as a one person, small business coach, consultant, freelance, whatever, you can typically grow your business to 85 K. And that's the point when you need to start thinking about taking on your first employee. May not doesn't have to be full time. It could just be somebody part time or maybe a combination of freelancers who are taking up those full time hours. Um, and then beyond that, you then start to get up into, a, you know, we have a mutual contact in Dan Priestley. You know, he talks about that lifestyle business, which is sort of 250, 300K with a small team of four or five people, you know, and then, and, and, and so that's when you're starting to get into the realms of hiring for specific job roles. So it might be at that point, you need a marketing person or you need a salesperson, or maybe you need one or two extra sort of hands on deck to help with fulfillment. But yeah, most small businesses can get to that, you know, 85K VAT threshold without really needing to seriously hire somebody full time, uh, in, in my opinion. 
So I want to go back to that moment when they, um, any client of yours or any business owner is going out to the marketplace with prices a good deal higher than the previously operating. Um, you could have great um, marketing collateral. Um, you could have practice of pitch. But there's a bit about how you show up as an individual when you're asking for the business. How do you help people in that moment so that they come across completely congruent that they because you're going to come across that I am absolutely value for money at this price point yeah so one one of the things you don't do is you don't just pull out the pin and throw them into sales situations where they're going to be you know (laughs) pitching all of a sudden at double the price point because that lack of confidence is going to come it's going to come through no matter how hard they try and sort of mask it off it's still going to be there'll be body language and tonality and maybe sweaty palms and, you know, all this sort of stuff, maybe they'll rush the process a little bit. So there will be things that will happen naturally without practice. So I, I, there's two things which I always recommend people do first and foremost, record all of your sales calls. So we've got the ability now where everything's online and happening through zoom and things like that. And even going into a physical um, sales situation with the, you know, with your phone out with it, you know, the memo app on record, obviously with the person's permission, you know, zoom, you can see it, you know openly and on the screen when when something's recording but you ask their permission but then listen back to your sales calls because it's just having that little piece of self-awareness where you're thinking oh gosh I'm speaking a bit too quickly there oh oh gosh they said something about money and I didn't pick up that that objection at that point or maybe they they sounded a bit confused but I was too busy focused on my pitch and not focused on them so there's all these things that you pick up where in the moment because the adrenaline's going you miss it you can't see everything in the moment the second thing which we also encourage people to do we we do this on fearless business and it's it's actually a really good laugh um sales role play so mm-hmm. if you've got a mentor um a buddy business buddies from networking maybe if you've got you know mums and dads at school who run their own business go and have a coffee with them and actually practice like the sales conversation practice your pitch because um you know, again, quite often, if you're just going in completely cold and you don't have that feedback in a safe environment, it is going to be nerve wracking. It is going to be something that's, you know, you're going to be fearful of. So, yeah, so we, we get our clients regularly on the weekly calls. We'll, we'll get them to, I, I become the, my, my, one of my clients, they become a slightly tricky client of theirs. Yep. And they just, yep. they get to listen to how, I'm expert, hate that term, how somebody with, you know, I've done I think I'm close to about 1200 like sales consultations now I've done over the last five or six years. So relatively experienced, but I'd say I'm an expert at doing sales stuff. Um, So they get to hear how I pace, how I lead it, how I, you know, tackle objections when, you know, part of the art, I think of sales, I know this isn't really about sales, but part of the art of sales is um, if you're not getting uncomfortable, you're actually doing it wrong. So where the client's trying to play it safe, the the prospect is trying to play it safe and keep the conversation very safe and they don't want to have that money conversation, you've got to be willing to go there and take them there on that journey with you. Because it's it's actually in if if there's a bit of tension in there, you know that the client is interested in what you're what it whatever it is that you're selling. But yeah, sales role play, listen to your sales calls. It's the it's the best way possible to learn and get better at sales. Um, I, 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 very clever the choice of uh, your branding and the name of your, your your business and your offering fearless because actually at the heart or at the crux of what holds people back in life and in business is fear and I, I often see when businesses have plateaued for a period of time they've reached that comfort zone and they are fearful of what is required to move to the next level of revenue growth of scale or that's investment in more plants whether that's a more machinery whether that's a new um, warehouse whether that's new uh, team members they're fearful we talked you talked earlier on about that um, the next stage of after your 85k you go into three to five then obviously you're going to scale in number of employees above that Um, how do you help people address that fear of growing their team whether they are already got i'll give you an example um I have a, uh, um, a great client at the moment. They've got a great group of people. They have a fear of adding to that team because it would upset the, t- the dynamic of the current members of that team. There's probably about 20 of them in the business right now. So how do you address with a client about that fear of, um, yeah, bringing in new team members, whether it's your first or your 21st or your 201st? 
Well, the, I think the fear is bred in the business owner themselves first and foremost. So they're gonna they're gonna want to. I mean, it depends on what how much they're willing to sort of delegate. You know, and I always say delegate delegate responsibly. Don't delegate responsibility. Yeah. As a business owner, I believe it's it's my um, uh, duty to make sure that I understand enough about all of the functions in the within the business. So that I can at least be able to explain to somebody what I want to get out of what what I want them to get out of that role, what the key, the key performance indicators are um, around their role. But and I might say to them, well, here we have our standard operating um, procedures, our SOPs, and you follow those. This is how I would do it. But I'm not going to be looking over your shoulder if you feel like I'm not doing it right. Adapt it and change it into something that's more of your way of working. I think too many business owners want to kind of keep control on absolutely everything and you like you wouldn't just hire somebody to then like be looking over their shoulder because then two people are doing the same job and that which you know it, it's pointless it's a waste of time doing that I think in terms of um sort of more in direct relation to your question about sort of um how do you then manage the process of you know again it's a bit of a PR exercise and you just have to kind of say to people listen I I oversee everything we have these standard operating procedures, so they're not going to be doing it vastly differently to how we currently do things. Let's try it out and see how we go for a month, two months, three months, and then we'll review it. And I think if people, that's normally just enough to kind of disarm people if they've got fears and if they've got worries around um, what's going to happen and, and that change process, um, just make yourself available. Again, I've, I've seen a lot of businesses and I see it a lot during acquisitions, which I know is something you're, you're sort of very good at. Um, you know, um, in acquisitions, what tends to happen is that I, this is a broad generalization, and I'll probably get shot down for this. But as I see it, the company acquiring the other company tends to come in and say, "This is the way we do it," and bulldoze their way into the business. Sure, absolutely. And that's just not—that's not the right because you've got two different cultures there coming together, and it's like—it's it's like two planets like colliding. And I think you just need to slow the whole process down a little bit and work out like what, you know, where is, where's the fit? Where do we actually come together and where, where is there some congruency and alignment? Um, you know, it's the same with a, a boss who just comes in and says, this is how we're going to do it when they hire people. Or, you know, if they're going to be out like giving, you know, bringing in somebody new to look after their client base. So I, I like again, we, ha we have a small coaching team and I, I, again, they all have to, I'll take family fit first, skills afterwards. They have to get on with our fearless crew first and foremost. And the coaching skills I can help them with or we can find a, a company to help them grow that as a coach, you know. But first and foremost, family fit. That's the key priority. That is so true. So important. And uh, that's, um, just, just an aside, um, uh, I've recently started to do the training with the RNLI. If anybody that listens to me knows that I'm a big fan of sailing, the sea, water sports are a big thing in my world. And uh, so the Royal National Lifeboat Institution, and they start off with that, do you fit with the crew? You know, it's that family fit first. And then they then do the training. And even whether you are a very experienced you know, mariner or you've never set, <laughs> your feet have never left terra firma, you, that you all go through the same training and that that bonding of that shared experience not only gels people together um but also um it means that you can rely on each other when you need to in in, yeah. in, in demanding circumstances well, you, yes. you don't you don't want to be in a situation whereby you know you're in 20 12 foot seas you know trying to rescue somebody and you're getting close to the rocks and you've got somebody in a team who's it's slightly dysfunctional and you can't communicate with like there's so many, so many moving parts within that. I think one of the things that people, I mean, that, that, don't get me wrong. I mean, one, it's very impressive you're joining the RNLI. I'm quite sort of jealous actually, because I'm a, you know, like a C person myself, but um, uh, so I got a huge amount of respect for that. I think in business though, you have to kind of also be slightly rational. Like in the RNLI, you're dealing with life and death situations. In business, there's only two things that could potentially go wrong. You look a bit stupid or you lose some money. Like that's the reality of it. If you do something that's like grossly negligent, then yeah, potentially you could end up in prison. Okay, yeah, yeah. so that that's pretty dire, but you've got to be doing something, you know, very nefarious to end up in that situation. I think this is the thing about business that everybody like builds up all of like worst case scenarios in their head and they forget that those two things are realities. You can always come back from those. Um, 
I think it was Tim Ferriss did a brilliant uh, um, TED talk a while, about five or six years ago called um, Fear Setting. So rather than approaching it, like goal setting is, uh, his view on it is you set goals and if you don't achieve them, there's never anything really bad that goes wrong. But in order to understand like what could go wrong, let's go through this fear setting exercise. And he breaks it down really, really nicely in that TED talk. Um, and in terms of just like being able to work out, well, um, let's focus on one key decision. I don't know, putting your prices up. What is the worst case scenario of, of that? If it, all, if it all goes wrong, what can happen? Well, nobody buys the product. Okay, so what could you do to mitigate that? We'll, we'll learn how to sell. We'll learn how to articulate our value. We'll look out into the marketplace and see if there's similar products that are selling for more that we could potentially model some of that success and pull into our business. So again, we end up with this list of things that we can do to mitigate it. And then, then we look at sort of the downside. Uh, or, sorry, um, well, if we get to a point where by, you know, nobody's bought our product at a higher price point, well, what could we do to you know, fix that effectively? Uh, well, one, we reduce our prices down. If it was that, if we're in a market that's that price sensitive, you, maybe we do have to lower our prices. I haven't seen it yet, Gavin. I'd like to be happy for anybody to stand in front of me and we'll duel off on that one for sure. Um, you know, uh, second one is business goes under. Oh, well, we go and get a job. Is it re- is that really that bad? Okay, for some entrepreneurs, they've thrown their life and soul into the business. Okay, well, yeah, potentially it's a big step backwards, but let's go and get a contract for 12 months build up our resources again, like get our confidence back and then, right, let's have another go at it. So all the, like all of these, like, you know, they seem like really dire consequences, but actually the reality is to fix them, it's really not that difficult. But the, the catch on this is the, um, and I just encourage anybody, I haven't done it justice, go and watch the TED talk, um, you know, where Tim Ferriss talks about this, but you then measure off the, the potential downside with the potential upside. So if we put our prices up and we find clients that are willing to pay two times, three times, four times more, and we can double, treble, quadruple the turnover of our business, the upside all of a sudden, like we've got this tiny little risk, this tiny little downside, and this massive potential upside. And it's like, it's at that point where everybody goes, oh, well, I should put my prices up then, shouldn't I? Yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah. And that, that, that balance there, that measuring off, that's so fascinating that measuring off the downside versus the upside because some people in that moment um the fear can just can almost um make the downside um grow enlarge it disproportionately to the actual risk how how do you address that you know oh i'm gonna lose i'm gonna lose my business i'm gonna lose all clients nobody's gonna want to book me um nobody's gonna want to buy my product is that that's where you do the test then isn't it that's where that's where you set them the the, the little challenge yep set them the challenge but also um so again it's it's about seeing both sides of the the coin both sides of what the reality could be how many people have ever lost a business a good number and how many people have bounced back we've seen it in dragon's den oh, oh, yeah, many times. many many yeah most. right and you read the books of all of these yeah, yeah. amazing like inspirational entrepreneurs and things like that they've all been up here millions down here to zero and they've done that several times you know so if they can do it so can we and I think that's the first thing is like one it's okay if you lose everything it's actually okay it's not there's no failure there the the failure is not trying it in the first place that's a failure okay so it's if you try it and it doesn't work out brilliant we've learned something we can grow from there and we can we can have another goal we can just decide that actually maybe this isn't for us and I think you know, so that so that's one side of the coin. And the, the second side of the coin is, you know, what, what we kind of discussed earlier on is, well, like, do everything within your powers to make it possible. I, I also like it's really interesting when you look at the numbers as well. So um, one, one of the first challenges I was I, I put to people is I say to them, what's your conversion rate? And they say, if you put me in a room with the right people, I can convert 80, 90 percent or all of them. Right. And I'm like, brilliant. That's a great conversion rate. Cool. So let's double. And they, they wear it as a badge of honor. I'm really good at sales because I can get a nearly 100 percent conversion rate. Right. You speak to any person who is who just does sales. They say that 100 percent conversion rate is it's a that's actually a really bad stat because your needle is so far over here. You can't improve it anymore. <laughs> And the only yeah, way to start yeah. to test it is to increase yeah. your prices. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, again, you know, Dan Priestley talks about 70, 10, two. Okay. 70 yeah. calls, 10 appointments, two sales. So for me, a good conversion rate is somewhere between one in five and one in three, somewhere in the middle. Okay. And actually, if you're, if you're 
turning away more clients than you're taking on, you're doing it right. <laughs> Get comfortable with saying no and having other people say no to you. And you want more of them to be doing that. Because now all of a sudden the needle's in the middle. And we've got a bit of operating bandwidth here. If we get better at sales, and it's always a, a, a process of like improvement, and the needle starts to creep over 40%, so, you know, two and five sort of, you know, and it's starting to go over here. Well, maybe because now we're getting better articulating our value, we're getting more confident around sales, we're getting better referrals coming through, we're getting better clients, we can start to put our prices up and artificially reduce that conversion rate back into somewhere in the middle, okay? And then if it starts to drop below one in five, again, that's that's uh, something's going wrong here. We can actually do something about it. But if the needle's flat over here or it's flat over there, we've got no, there's, there's nothing to give us any useful feedback on. It needs to be somewhere in the middle. Um, I think in many businesses, let's move away from selling individual services to selling a, a product. Um, in many businesses at the moment, they've experienced price inflation in, um, in their raw materials um, that they're bringing in or the, the, the cost of goods sold that they're bringing in. Um, there's delays on, on, on supply chain, et cetera. So price rises after conversations about passing on to the customer is becoming more and more a necessity, a must. Um, but I'm always very keen to be able to accompany a price rise with a, you know, we're working with a client around what's the extra value you're going to deliver. Yes. Yeah. You might have to pass on that, um, that 10% hit or 20% hit you've had in your raw material prices, but what could you demonstrate about your increased offering of value to your customer in light of that increased price point? So uh, it's, it's worth saying here. So I had a conversation with a swimming pool company. Uh, they, do various different so various different size pools which they do and yeah, things like yeah. that very very well established as well in the local area plus they do pool maintenance and things like that they have a waiting list of about 18 months to two years before they can go and do a, a new installation at the moment which again tells me that they've got so much demand they could increase their prices they were going the following week after we chatted they were going to start an installation on the project which they booked 18 months ago okay so just around sort of pre-covid around about sort of covid times as, as we know price of building materials has gone up by 40 50 percent or yeah, even more yeah. for some you know timber's yes. gone up nearly 100 percent. yeah crazy so i said to them have you gone back to that customer and said i'm really sorry but you know the price for this installation price of materials we've set our labor rate the same but the price of materials has gone up by 40 percent." and they said no we're, we're going to honor our quote because that's our policy 18 months ago so i said Cool. So how much money are you going to lose on this project then? So it's about a £300,000 installation. They were going to lose 50 grand on this project. Whoa. I just said, you're better off. You would be better off turning this project away if they're that price sensitive than doing it because you're essentially paying, making a 50 grand investment into their swimming pool. You're never going to get to swim in. Yeah, and that's if everything goes according to plan. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you could start to see the penny drop here. And, and I said, how many of these projects, how many quotes have you got out there, other installations that you're going to be going into over the next 12 months that it's going to take that long for prices to settle down again? Now we're talking about, you know, double digits in terms of jobs. So I was like, well, cool. you just so saved their business. They would have gone bust. Yeah, you're in for half a million pounds worth of like minimum like loss here. And yet mm -hmm. you're still going to go ahead with this. I said, if you've got a thick order book, be willing to walk away from some of those projects and move on. Unfortunately, is it... <laughs> And this is where you then start to get a clash of different people in charge of the business. So it was, uh, there were two brothers who owned the business who are, and, and this isn't an ageist comment, by the way, it's just to give context. So um, in their sixties and they'd sold the business to one of their employees, who was the guy I was talking to who was in his, uh, just, just turned 30, had a young family, his first child was on the way. And so he, he walked away from my office Yep, Robin, going to put the prices up. Love what you said. Super useful. But he then, even despite the fact he owned the business, he still felt that he had to go back to these two old guys who were still involved oh, in the business and ask right. them for permission. And they said, no, we're going to honor those contracts. We always have done. This is what our reputation is based on. And I'm, wow. I'm left there sort of just saying, you need to cut them loose. I'd actually fire them. They're, they don't work. They're, you own the business now. You own the business, business now. Yeah. You know, unless they, well, even if they did have vast reserves that they could afford to stand £500,000 worth of loss, why would you do that? Because you, you know, you paid for those reserves as part of the evaluation of the business, firstly. And um, secondly, we never had market conditions in their, in their career, never mind our career, their living career. So, um, 
what you did before, you got to rip that rule book up, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah, we went and then he's still grappling with that. So he's taken on a massive responsibility. So we're still kind of working our way through that because he, it, it, you know, again, one of his values is he doesn't want to annoy those guys because they have built the brand up and they are still part of the business, So, which I get it. But so there's a bit of softly, softly catchy monkey with but that. You see, but something, hey. something like that, you know, when, when those two owners, those two brothers, former owners, I beg your pardon, um, they say that's what we've always done. They're valuing doing right by their customer, being straight, we're going to quote you this much and we're not going to try and pull the wool over your eyes and give you a final bill that's 25% higher. That's a laudable, ethical, value-based way of doing business. Yeah. So that your guys going to them presenting this, we're going to have to charge them more. And it's it's pushing up against that value. You know, there's no way. I think we're being right by our customers, but we're having to expect, we're not trying to pull the wool over eyes. We just got to expect we're in exceptional market conditions. When have we known timber prices going up by 80 to hundred percent? When have we known that um, electrical cabling has gone up 20, 30, 40% and explaining it, surely you can achieve more in terms of respect and value from your customer by taking through item by item and show them that we're maintaining our labor rate and we're not pulling the wool over their eyes to fleece yeah. them and actually come out stronger. Yeah, well, I mean, you also have to present the downside of this. I mean, if they do end up going bust, they've lost the people they employ, don't have jobs anymore. Mm. The, the existing customers who have maintenance now don't have a maintenance, a reliable, trustworthy maintenance company. So there's all these, again, ramifications like knock-on effects, which, which kind of come through with that, which have a massive downside. And I think what it comes down to, like... Your, your original question was about how do you articulate the value? How do you present to somebody like, you know, being being top, top of market rate for, for whatever it is that you do, whether it's a product based business or service based business, it doesn't matter. You have to just do the simple exercise of what is economically going to stack up for your business and stand by that. Now, I know that sounds probably a bit heartless. You obviously do that with a um, you know, you do it with, like you said, ethical, moral values. You do it, you know, making sure that there is a sense of purpose and passion and vision and mission for the business. And you do it the right way. But ultimately, the long and short of it, the goal of any business is to make profit, not just to make money, but it's to make profit. Cash has to flow out the bottom of the business. You know, otherwise, like, what is the point? You're essentially, mm -hmm. well, even, take it even charities and not for profits have to make money. They have to have like, they're, not even, they're not giving money away. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have to focus on that. And sometimes articulating value can just be as simple as, no, Gavin, these are our prices. Yeah. You yeah. don't have to justify it. You don't have to say why. It's just the, we believe that we're giving fair value, like good value. These are our prices. I love the congruency in which you deliver that statement and the effective use of pause and the downward intonation at the end of these are our prices. You deliver that, and I know very well honed over 1,200 pitches, but you deliver that with total certainty. But also, there's more than that for me. This is like, I, I'm not budging. This is where I'm at in terms of my value, and then to do so would be malpracticing what I believe I'm worth. And I think, to me, I just want to pull out, because quite often we haven't talked about discounting and being a customer asking you for a discount but you've just beautifully demonstrated there a, a very powerful and effective response when somebody tries to chip you on price below a level of which you believe feel to be comfortable. Yeah, you've got to, it's like any negotiation. You go into that negotiation almost with op, like three options written down on a bit of paper. These are the outcomes that I want to get out of this conversation. You know, but in this case, it's, no, no, I believe it's fair value. We can do great work together you know what and then it but then you can move into the, the realms of kind of well, what do you need to see in or from me in order to like gauge whether i'm in, like like swimming pools you'd hope that those their customers have gone out and got three different quotes what's yeah, going to make yeah. us stand out from the competition what's going to make like we are the most expensive but what is going to make us you know make you believe that we're the most expensive and we're worth it and i think that that's a struggle which many business owners go through and right at the start you touched on marketing which we're not going to go into uh, today but you know, most people try and get that message through in a marketing. Actually, it's more important to get that message across than sales. Marketing is just to attract and to sort of bring people into your, you know, into your circle. It's actually sales where people gather that. Sorry, there's a helicopter going over and I've forgotten to close my door. It's all right. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, we're by the sea here. So we are. I'm just going to shut my door. Okay. Second. 
stories of living out in the countryside. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, uh, we have anything from uh, uh, low flight because we're, we're, we're near um, Angles, or relatively close to RAF Valley where they, they do all the uh, first sort of uh, fighter jet training. So we've got those guys flying over, Coast Guard rescue helicopter flying over, and then there's also the seagulls. <laughs> there's, plenty, <laughs> there's plenty of background noise. Um, you, and you mentioned discounting as well. Discounting is funny. So a lot of people actually, um, funny, that's the wrong word. A lot of people offer discounts on their core product to attract people into their business. And actually, again, they don't realize quite how detrimental it is to their business. So um, I, I was talking about, again, being an, a, an avid fan of each of the different sort of bits of your business, accounting being one of them. You can't just be, you know, oh, numbers isn't my thing. You can't just neglect that and delegate it to somebody else because, um, you know, discounts, when they, they erode profitability more than people think. So take a 10% discount. The assumption most people have is that, well, I've only got to sell 10% more of the same product to make the same profit, right? But actually, because, and I can't explain the maths, you know, but as the money falls, that flows down through the profit and loss account, it compounds because of mm. the way costs work within a business. Mm. So that 10%, you know, on, and this is, this was um, stats, which came from the Chartered Institute of Management Accountants. By the time that 10% discount is filtered down through your profit and loss account, you've got to sell 25% more of the same product to make the same net profit. Wow. So two and a half times more of the same thing effectively and it's it's um like most people just uh, they they do these i don't i don't have a problem with attraction offers like discounts on something small like giving away books for free that's like an mm -hmm. attraction offer or for a discount it's an attraction offer but it's your core product and even rewarding loyalty with you know um by offering discounts again i always say to people on this this um it's it's so apt so uh, a common one physiotherapists offer like if you buy 10 sessions you get like two free or something like that so that's yep, a discount yep, yep. basically and i'm like cool so do they get a better or worse result by having more sessions with you penny drops it's like ah oh, right yeah get a better result so why do they get to pay less yeah if they're going to yep. get a better result it just it just doesn't make any sense so there's little tools like that, which you can just use to shift people's mindset around sort of money and how cash flow works in their business and all sorts of fun stuff. I know you believe that actually charging, you know, for, for, for individuals that have a service based businesses and they are earning fees for the, the, the skill. So charging by the hour, uh, you believe that to be unethical. You know, what, what are your thoughts on that? Why is that so? So let me put it this way. So imagine, like, we'll stick with the web design example because it's, it's familiar. It's what I knew for 12 years in my, my, my first business. So uh, imagine, Gavin, you're in the market for a website and um, Tracy comes along and she says, I, I got, I'm going to build you this fantastic website, Gavin. Uh, I think it will take me about uh, 20 hours and I charge £50 an hour. Is that cool? Right. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. off she goes. And because she's selling websites possibly too cheaply, she's got a massive backlog of work. So eventually she comes back three months later and she says, here you go, Gavin, here's the website. And you look at it and you go, uh, Sharon, I remember I asked you for the, um, the blog and the shopping cart, where are those? And she goes, oh yeah, sorry about that, Gavin. I didn't realize you needed those. Great, I'll add them on, but I've used up the 20 hours. So it'll take another 10 hours and you've got to pay for it. Is that okay? No, at that moment. No, I paid the 20. No, I, we agreed 20 hours. That's how yeah, much... Yeah. You know, but and also what she didn't tell you, she's only just started doing it. So it, hence the reason why it's taken long. She's forgotten about the features and doesn't get great results and all those things. Okay. Then we've got Dave. My mate Dave comes along. Dave doesn't know what Robin and Gavin know about pricing. So Dave says, Yeah, I can I can knock out this website. Uh, and he, he does it. It takes three days. It's only 10, 10 billable hours of time. So you only you only have to pay 500 pounds for it. Dave's, Dave's been doing it for years, right? So his websites actually generate, you know, five, 10 leads a month for your business, Gavin. You know, so he gets great results. Hang on a second. But he only gets paid a third of what the, um, the more inexperienced person does because they, you know, because he's better and he does it faster and gets better results. He gets paid a third. It just doesn't make sense. Clever argument. I like the way you've done that. We've got a third person, though. Do you want to hear about the third person? Go on. So yeah. the third person has been coached by you or me, Gavin. We call him. We call him Rod. So Rod comes along. He's a website ninja, right? He'll build you your website in twenty four hours, guaranteed. It'll get you fifteen to twenty leads a month for your business. Okay, uh, within the next thirty days, that's when the leads will start to come in. Ask me how much his websites are. How much are his websites? My websites are ten k, right. but I've got a guarantee. 
if after 30 days we're not producing those 15 to 20 leads for you, one, I'll refund you your money and I'll give you an extra thousand pounds on top for wasting your time, which you can spend with, you know, Sharon or Dave. Where do I sign? <laughs> yeah. And, and that is just so much more compelling because actually what you don't want is a number of hours to be spent on your website. You want you want a website that generates leads. Yeah. And that's a very, very compelling uh, pitch backed by a guarantee. Yeah. yeah. Trouble is most people, they're, they're afraid of guarantees because I, I, I'm going to say, you know, this is maybe slightly controversial. Um, they don't have enough confidence in their own ability to deliver that result or outcome. So therefore, when you challenge them and say, whatever product or service you're selling, you need to put a cast iron 100% money back guarantee on it. They start to panic. Because they're like, oh, but what about that client? Or what about if something goes wrong or if it takes me longer or this, that, and the other? Well, these are all questions that you need to address. <laughs> these are all things, problems in your business that you need to fix. Maybe it's not systemized enough. Maybe you're trying to do too many things. Maybe like you're doing 10 products when you should be focusing on doing two or three things really, really well. Uh, so there's all these different, you know, those questions actually are questions that you can then look inwardly uh, why why wouldn't I offer 100% money back guarantee on my product or service? Very, very um, important. Um, I think also when you do, you show up with a different level of conviction. That's it, 100%. So um, a few years back, I did a pro program called Double Your Business and the, the proposition was in 12 months, I'll double the revenue of your business. And if you implement the stuff that we agree on the, um, and it doesn't work, then 100% money back. I just remember when somebody, I was on a stage in front of a group of HSBC customers and they said, can we do it? I said, yes. I showed up with, and not only them, but for all the interactions with the clients with such level of conviction because I had to deliver. I had no choice. I burnt the bridges. I had to deliver. So I think the sheer practice of offering a money back guarantee, in my experience and with people I've worked with, means you show up and deliver a better result. Yeah, 100%, absolutely. So I, I thoroughly love this conversation, Robin, and uh, I'm sure there'll be an opportunity in the, pro in, in the future to get you back on because you've added so much value to this. So thank you so much. How can people find out about you, about your podcast, about your books? How do people find out about you? Yeah, thank you. So uh, the best bet is to head on over to fearless.biz. Um, and if uh, this is for all of your listeners, Gavin. So if anybody wants a free copy of Take Your Shot, I know we've been talking about pricing and value and things like that, but I always like whenever I do have the opportunities like this to be able to lead with a gift um, where I can. But so if you want a copy of Take Your Shot, just click on the resources tab on fearless.biz. And uh, for any UK listeners, I'll actually sign and send you a copy of um, that in the post, an actual proper physical copy. Uh, anybody overseas, it'll be a, um, a PDF. Uh, and then, yeah, you can, you, uh, we've got the Fearless Business Podcast as well, which I hope, Gavin, you'll also be, um, be jumping onto that as a guest in the future too. I'd love to. Um, uh, yeah, and uh, uh, just Google Robin Waite. I'm on, uh, you basically, you'll find my Instagram, LinkedIn, and all the different social media channels on there as well. Robin, you're a star. I knew you'd deliver, deliver a huge amount of value. Thank you very much for coming on to the Business Mastermind podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Business Mastermind podcast with myself, Gavin Preston. You know, we love to hear from you. Let me know what you think. Like, review and subscribe on whichever podcast platform you listen to us on. It does make a difference. If you are a regular listener, why not buy us a coffee? You can do this by heading over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash business master. You'll also be able to get access to exclusive content from the guests and myself, further insights and information on the featured episodes and how you can get more access for yourself and your business.